0: Sorry, I can't be with you at church, and we're working with a recording. Uh, in fact, this whole experience today will be different to a normal preaching moment. I can't really read the room, nor can I bring a whole lot of energy to this moment. COVID does that, as many of you know. Uh, but we'll produce this because today's teaching lays down the foundations for the entire term ahead. So, with that in mind, please keep your uh, Bibles open that you have there, page nine seventy six. Uh, have that mini outline ready because we're going to refer to it and let's pray as we come to god's word together we pray with me father thanks that you're our god that you are so good to us that we can use technology that we can or most of us can still meet thank you that you love us that you are our god you are so good to us and would you please help us now as we come to your word for me to speak and teach clearly and for us to benefit from you and your word and one another we ask in jesus name amen Well, from the reading we've just had, you can uh, see that we've parachuted into the New Testament book of Hebrews at, well, the very end of the letter. However, don't let the chapter division and the bold headings fool you. Chapters and verses and section headings are additions added centuries after the original letter was composed. And this is one spot where they really get in the way of our understanding. Uh, The first error was to start a new chapter where they did. In our modern minds, we think, oh, you know, a new chapter, a new idea, but this is not true. Uh, These are not just concluding exhortations, as that heading from the publisher says, uh, you know, about everything the writer forgot to say earlier, because we can see there from the logic that the therefore of 1228 demonstrates it's an ongoing conversation from chapter 12. And in fact, The whole letter has been all about worshiping God with chapter 13 being the capstone on top hebrews as a book is all about worshiping God and how we christians do that now through jesus rather than through the jewish temple and the jewish ceremonial customs jesus coming has changed everything his life his death his rising have brought about a new world order and that's why we restarted our calendars to mark the occasion, didn't we? BC and AD dates revolve around the coming of Christ. This is now the year twenty twenty two AD, anno domini, the year of our Lord. And even if we you know, switch and become all modern and go BCE and CE before the Common Era and Common Era, we're still saying twenty twenty two CE. It still changes with the coming of Christ. But it's not just in change in the coming of the calendar. Sorry, and not just a change in the calendar with Jesus coming jesus coming brings about a cataclysmic change in the way we worship god and the book of hebrews was written describing the what the how and chapter 13 in particular the what now of that cataclysmic change you see in his coming death and rising jesus created a new community no longer israelites only worshiping their god at israel in the temple now god can be worshipped by all nations and all people groups in all corners of the globe. And with that cataclysmic change, the way we worship will need to be different now from how it was expressed with the Jews in their community and different also from how people here in the Northern Illawarra worship the things around them. Now you'll remember we spent all of term two together as a church examining this community of faith we belong to called the church the Bride and Body of Christ. So let's take a moment now, a pause, and I'm going to invite you to answer that first question. How does belonging to the Bride and Body of Christ change us and what we do? What have we learned? How does belonging to the Bride and Body of Christ change us Christians and what we do together? See you in a moment. Well, how'd you go? Uh, there's, there's so much to it, isn't there? Uh, our gatherings are the gospel made visible. They, they demonstrate what it means to clearly belong to God, that we are a lifeboat on a mission together. And our words, our service, our structures, our giving, our gifting are all shaped by what happens when we gather in community together. Together, in this place, well anglican church we are growing a community where jesus christ is lord we're growing a community where jesus christ is lord but even more than a mere community as good and amazing as that is we read here in hebrews 12 that well it's a kingdom it, it, it's a kingdom we're in process of receiving look at verse 28 there therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken Uh, Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and and all. We're receiving a kingdom. We, we are receiving a kingdom, a a kingdom that that cannot be shaken. That's strange, isn't it? Because kingdoms can be shaken, can't they? Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. On a family trip one year, we were uh, lucky to visit England where we saw evidence of the ancient Celtic Empire and the Roman Empire and then the Norman Empire which followed it. England was once the greatest kingdom in the world. They used to say that the sun never set on the British Empire, but it has now. In our lifetimes, the USA has been mostly in the ascendancy, but not for long. China is coming, and China will come, and China too will shake and go. All human kingdoms will come and go. But we Christians are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You and I are on the receiving end of a kingdom that will last forever. No wonder Jesus told the Jews to make that their number one priority. Not where they were and what they were doing, but he said to them, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't worry about your ambitions. ambitions. Don't worry about your appearances. Seek first his kingdom. And now, after his resurrection, we Christians are in process of receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken. But hang on a moment. What what about it can't be shaken? Here's another chance. Take a moment, have a chat with each other. What about God's kingdom cannot be shaken? See you in a moment. Well, isn't that wonderful? How good is it to know that God's rule is eternal? Our place, his family, can never be taken from us. Our future resurrection bodies will never be sick or fail like these ones do. Cannot be shaken. But it's one thing to be in process of receiving it and to finally receive it. Another thing to behave as a participating member of that kingdom now while we wait. And while we wait, it's right to be worshipping and thankful to God. But not all worship of God now is acceptable to him. So again, our verses, 12, 28, therefore we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And so (laughs) there's a kind of threat that hangs over this, isn't it? For for God to accept our worship of him, it needs to have an attitude surrounding it. One that's thankful with reverence and awe we need to come to him on his terms with his goals in mind and not our own goals. And at the same time, we're Christians already. We're already receiving this. So we must remember that acceptable worship, it's not about pleasing God so that he will become favourable towards us in the first place. Acceptable worship is is of the Christian is not some attempt to pacify an angry in God and make him happy with us. That's what pagan worship is all about. And so many of our world religions all have systems of worship that are all about trying to make some... God happy with the worshipper to be accepted in the first place. But Hebrews 13 is not describing this kind of worship relationship. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Uh, Look at verse 20 there in your Bibles. Uh, Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what's pleasing to him through Jesus Christ and be glory forever and ever. Amen. Emphatically, it declares that it's God who equips us, the Christian, with everything good for doing his will. It's God who works in us what is pleasing to him, and he does this through Jesus Christ. Yes, we're involved in the act itself, but we're not the originator of acceptable worship. We don't get the credit for acceptable worship. Jesus is the one who gets it right and makes us right, and then who works through us so that we worship right. Without going through Jesus, it's utterly impossible to worship God acceptably. Our worship is only acceptable to God because of Jesus. And the rest of the book of Hebrews carries this argument from the very first verse of the very first chapter. I'll Flick back there, have a quick look at it. Go back to, well, chapter 1, which is going back a couple of pages here, um, where we see that it says on page Uh, 967. in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. Jesus has changed everything, including how people who love God worship him acceptably. No longer does God want us as in the past days to come to the temple or some other fixed place to offer sacrifice of thanksgiving that include the slaughter of animals. And all that was abolished by God himself in the last and final sacrifice of his son. God made peace with us through Jesus. And now also through Jesus, we approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find ongoing grace to help us in our time of need. This is the argument of the entire book of Hebrews, that having raised Jesus from the dead, and having seated him at his right hand in glory, God has made Jesus to be our great high priest, the one who makes us right with God. So anyone can live a good life in worldly terms, based on what the world would say is a good life, but only through Jesus can any human lead a life that God will receive as acceptable worship. So let's take a moment to think about that and see if we can make a list of like. Well, What acts of worship are acceptable to God? What acts of worship are acceptable to God? See you in a moment. Rightio, well, this is where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? So then, what is acceptable worship to God? It, It says here in verse 28 that our worship needs to be thankful with reverence and awe. Well, now we're talking attitudes, aren't we? And attitudes, that's helpful because that's where we should be starting. It's through Jesus, and then it's thankfulness, reverence, and awe. But I reckon if we asked 50 different Christians, we'd hear 50 different ways of putting that into practice, worshipping God with thankfulness, reverence, and awe. And in one sense, that's terrific. It's good that we all care, and it's good that we could all think of things. But what still, if he doesn't accept your or my version of this? He is a consuming fire, you know, and, that, and that's no idle threat. We need to remember that. Consider what he did in the Old Testament when the Israelites got this wrong. When What they thought was impressive wasn't acceptable to God. Remember Cain in Genesis 4 we looked at earlier in the year? Remember Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19? Israel discovering this at the golden calf in Exodus 34. Moses' sister gets this wrong when she attempts to worship God on her terms. And then we have these amazing scenes in Leviticus 10 and in Numbers 16 when Nadab Abihu in Leviticus and Korah and his mates in Numbers 16 are literally consumed by fire because they got this wrong. And if they didn't escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? That's one of the arguments in Hebrews here. See, Christians, we, we, we shouldn't play with fire. We mustn't toy with God. We need to know precisely what manner of worship is acceptable to him and not make it up. And thankfully God isn't silent on these matters, and nor is he inconsistent. He doesn't expect us to come up with some system of worship and try and see what he thinks, hoping we get it right, instead he reveals to us precisely what acceptable worship looks like. And he does it here in this chapter. So the very next sentence, after 12.29, begins describing for us what acceptable worship looks like, and it runs right through to verse 21 of chapter 13, with the sign-off greetings making up the last four verses, and what does it include? All kinds of things, doesn't it? And not just what we do in church. There's no distinction here between church worship and the rest of our lives worship, or or rather there's not a worship service, but that our lives should be an expression of worship to God. And so we'll work through this, this term, we'll see it that a life of worship is one where Christians love one another as family, verse one, and where strangers are welcomed into the church, verse two, and where we care for Christians in prison, verse three, And it's a life where marriage and sexual faithfulness are upheld, verse 4, where people have freed themselves from the love of money and are content with what they have, verses 5 through 6. It's a life where we imitate constant biblical faithfulness of the Great One's past, verse 7 to 9a, and where we bear the sacrifice and disgrace of Christ willingly, verses 9b through 14. It's a life where our religious sacrifices that please God are actually our words of praise to him, verse 15, and doing good to others with our hands, verse 16. It's a life where we have confidence in our leaders and willingly submit to them, verse 17, and where prayer is earnest, accurate, loving, and God-dependent, verses 18 to 21. Being a a Christian, living out this life of worship, it's not a a two-hour-a-week Sunday task to live this out. In fact, you know, we need to get rid of our 21st century habit of box ticking, where we fulfill our religious obligations once a week, tick that box, and then move on to the other things. Another 166 hours a week. Now, Christian worship of God, as defined by God's word, is a whole-of-life, 24-7 activity. And this is why we need Hebrews 13 to instruct us, so that we don't make it up. And, and we need not just Hebrews 13, but the 12 chapters that come before it proceeded. So that Christian worship is no longer unclear, misdirected or divided into bits, that we don't switch it on when we come to church in some kind of car park miracle. So we put on our holy voice and file into church and then afterwards revert to different behaviour in the, the real world. Well, that's the definition of hypocrisy. And that's what we shouldn't do. In fact, let's pause and think on that for a moment. Why is it hypocrisy when Christians divide our lives into my bits and God bits? We'll see you in a moment. Well, praise God for Jesus, because hypocrisy is, well, another sin for which Christ died. Not something that takes us out of God's hand, but something we can be thankful for, because Jesus died for that sin too. And And, and helpfully... Uh, what we have here in the Bible describes to us how to repent of that hypocrisy and how to live differently. And that's why what we have here in Hebrews 13 throughout the New Testament is uh, what it means to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, thankfully with reverence and awe. And therefore the only difference between what we Christians do in church and what we do outside of our gathering church well the only real difference is the difference of who we're with. So the difference of between worshiping God except we in church and outside of church is all about who we're doing it with. You see we we do and can do corporate worship differently in church because of the dynamics involved when so many Christians gather together. First of all it's because it's Christians who are gathering and as we gather together we can do all kinds of things that are unique and helpful to us because we're receiving this unshakable kingdom we keep gathering and as we make this point of gathering again and again throughout each year throughout each week of each year we do these things as we gather and as we gather like this we grow and change and mature together and we build one another up as each member of the body does its work growing together into this community here where jesus christ is lord and so Christians, in this way, as we express this, we realise and recognise that we aren't a random set of individuals who don't know each other, like, I don't know, a bunch of people who go to the movies together. Uh, while we each relate to God, while each Christian relates to God personally, there's no such thing as churchless Christianity. You no, know, We're receiving a kingdom. We are receiving a kingdom. Each Christian is receiving kingdom we together are receiving it there's a whole community of us and that's why we don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing rather we set aside our individual preferences for the sake of christ who is above all and we meet together in his name so we meet and yet even once we're outside of the church so they our now acceptable worship outside of the church it it does look different because it's not a bunch of christians meeting together But there's still no room here for independent living in our Christian worship every day. As we move through Hebrews 13, this term, we'll find that all of these worship commands have us interacting with other Christians and non-Christians in ways that well, aren't normal in human society necessarily, or certainly not consistently and so we'll we'll see these words loving welcoming caring respecting giving watching sacrificing praising doing good obeying and praying all of these acts of worship are interactive and are still communal in relationship even though they're not done whilst we're necessarily at church even the sign off greeting as the letter closes You'll notice there, it's hyper-relational, isn't it? Verse 22, uh, he urges them to bear with his short word of exhortation. Hebrews 13 short, oh, Hebrews. Yeah, okay. Oh, And and Timothy's out of prison. We hope to come and visit soon. And then there's a special greeting to the church leaders and all the local church members and the author from the expat Italian, uh, sorry, the expat Italian community also. And then there's a final blessing on them all to finish. See, being a follower of Jesus, it's, it's hyper-relational. There is, there is no compartmentalised vertical relationship where it's just us and God and he wants us to ignore everyone but him. No. Our worship of God, our worship of God is a vibrant relationship of life and love for other people in thankfulness and reverence to God who's called us to live such a life. And these are the things we're going to be thinking about more and more as we come through this particular term together. Acceptable worship, what it is, how we do it, and let's break it down and look at each of these things individually. And even while we learn, let's do it. Let's be those who practice it. And let's, let's do it together, encouraging one another. Let's put front and centre before our eyes every day the glory and love and grace of our God in Jesus Christ And remember that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And because we are, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to be glory forever and ever. Amen.